Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We're just going to invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles, and we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles or your devices, go with me, please, to St. Luke chapter 12. I have to admit, when I travel on Sunday morning to the church, I enjoy the lack of traffic. Seems like everybody who has a car is driving their car these days. A lot. Lori and I, on Friday, we had a few hours, and I came across something that uh, revealed that uh, a neighboring town in the country had their fair on. So thought um, what, what actually attracted me was they had a demolition derby. Anybody here know what a demolition derby is? Demolition derby is where you get your cars and you smash them into each other. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Okay, some of you are looking horrified. Um, so demolition derby. Hadn't been to a demolition derby. How many here have been to a demolition derby where you see people going around smashing cars into each other? I, I don't mean where you've been in an accident. Um, these, they're supposed to hit each other in these demolition derbies. So uh, Lori and I went to a demolition derby on Friday night and watched these grown people, men and women, uh, get in their cars and run into each other. (laughs) And after about 45 minutes, Lori leaned over to me and she said, I would love to do that. (laughs) And I was nothing short of shocked. I said, you... One time we went go-karting. Anybody gone go-karting? Go-karting, that's a lot of fun. You're supposed to race each other. And when we went go-karting, she signaled around every corner. Remember pulling up and saying, honey, you don't signal, you race. She wanted to get into the demolition derby. So, um, so I was just thankful. It's okay when you're in a pit and you're hitting each other. It's not okay when you're out on the roads. That's just not okay. So um, I want to read something with regard to a parable that Jesus gave. And uh, so we pick it up, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It's called the parable of the rich fool. (laughs) Verse 13, someone in the crowd came to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you, then he said to them, watch out, exclamation, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand this parable, the context and its implications. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I read that parable again if you still have it? Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in a crowd, Jesus didn't know them ahead of time. We don't get any indication. Somebody comes to him and says, teacher, recognizing Jesus as a person of influence, teacher, tell, you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You tell him to share his money. I deserve it. 
I deserve that. That's mine. There's, he needs to divide this. And Jesus responded, man. Now, I went and looked up different versions. Most of them said man. And some said mister. And some said, hey, you. Okay, so because Jesus was called teacher, he responded back. But I think it was bigger than that. Jesus is making a comment saying, society, humanity, humanity, humanity. You don't understand this very well. He's correcting something. Jesus has a divine perspective. And he's responding to an earthly thing, which is all you and I know, a humanity thing, a manly thing, that is out of kilter. He says in verse 15, watch out. Be on your guard. All the guy asked was, would you talk to my, my brother about dividing the inheritance? And Jesus says, watch out. Kind of seems a bit of over, overreaction to what the guy asked. I just asked you to talk to my brother to see if he'd share his money. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. The powerful phrase right here. Life. Life. You've only got so many years. Life does not consist in accumulating things. I want to unpack this. I'm going to sit on this one for a while. And uh, we already prayed that you wouldn't get upset with me for talking about money, so you can't be upset now we've prayed about that. We did that in our pre-service prayer, that nobody's going to get upset, pastor's going to talk about money. I'm not asking you to give anything. But we do need to talk about this. Did you see the importance Jesus placed on? The guy simply said, I need to get what's mine, rightfully mine, and Jesus says, be careful, watch out, watch out. You got to be on your guard because greed is rampant. Mankind, it's everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. I'm going to say greed is in everyone's hearts, all of our hearts, because life doesn't consist as if. If you're not careful, greed will rob you of life. I'm going to say frequently it is the case. You know, Jesus talked about this a lot. I'm, I've never actually preached from this text before. I'm just really excited about this because when I came and I just dwelt on this, I've just seen so much in this text. Uh, so I have said this before. When I've done research in Jesus and him talking about things, money, possessions, he actually talks a lot about it. So uh, we have to at least address it on occasions, right? Um, Jesus said more, a lot more about money than he ever said about heaven. Now, we can't deny heaven's important. And so if Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven, then he's addressing something that's really, really significant. And it's not because Jesus needed any money, because Jesus didn't need money. Uh, as far as we can tell from the gospel writers, specifically, I don't think you can even find Jesus asking for money anywhere. He doesn't even ask for money. Uh, Jesus was actually after something else. He was not after money. He was after hearts. But he knows the problem of getting a heart is the money. Money's a problem. 
Our text today speaks of someone who felt that their money was theirs to do with. It was owing to them. And quite frankly, it's none of your business, you know, kind of thing. That's usually what, how we feel, right? None of your business about money, my money, my money, none of your business. The inheritance money was um, extra money to this person. So this, this someone in the crowd, my Bible says, this someone felt it was due them to have this spare money, to have this extra money. It was due them to have this extra money. Uh, and that's what was being contested here. It was extra money. Um, so a question, I guess, I put out, I start today. What do you do with your extra money? Now, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Pastor, I don't have any extra money. You want to know what I do with my extra money? I wish. I don't have any extra money. I don't have spare money. Because the question is, what do you do with extra money? What do you do with spare money? And and. Probably most of our minds is, well, I, don't, I don't have it. One day, maybe, but no, not today. Um, but you know, pretty much all of us have extra money. <laughs> You're saying, you don't know me. Okay, well, don't put your hands up. Um, have you taken a vacation in the last two or three years? Uh, do you have a car? Do you have two cars? Do you have a little house for your car? Uh, have you ever taken your car that drives just fine to a lot to leave it? To get into another car that drives perfectly fine and drive it home because it's newer? Have you ever done that? Um, if I asked how many here have cell phones... I would be probably hard-pressed to have anybody not put their hand up. Have you ever taken a perfectly functioning cell phone to a store and given it to them to walk away with another perfectly functioning cell phone that has an extra camera, better colors, and a longer battery? Have you ever taken out your floor that had Perfectly good for, the carpet was still functioning, the floor was still functioning, and ripped it all out to put another one in. Or maybe your counter. Ouch, Lori and I just did this. You took out your perfectly functioning counter, gave it away, sold it, and put in another perfectly functioning counter, or taken out your stove that worked, and put in another stove, microwave that worked, put in another microwave, fridge that worked, put in another one because the color wasn't right. Okay, I could just keep going, can't I? Took out a counter, took out a vanity, took out a toilet, took out a bathtub, your stairway, that was quite functioning, but you ripped that out to put in another one. So I come back to that question, do you have extra money? Yes. Just by being able to do that. Now, there's countries that if I preach this, the answer would be different, but not here, not here. And uh, so when I put it like that, um, you know, we think, yeah, okay, I got some spare money, I guess. Um, here's another one. Do you pay someone to keep track of all your money? Like, it's their job 
to take care of your money, to invest it so that it makes more money. Yeah, we, we have extra money. We have extra money. So let's get that off the table. We have it. So when I put it like that, it just doesn't feel like we have extra money, right? It doesn't feel like it. And you know why it doesn't feel like you and I have extra money? You know why? It's the G word. Not the J word. J, not the Jesus word. It's the G word. The G word is the greed word. The greed word makes it feel like we don't have extra money. It's really hard to see greed in the mirror. I mean, I can see greed in other people. But I don't see greed in me. And you probably don't see greed in you, but you see greed in other people. It's probably fair to say, right? We tend not to see greed in our own life. And, and if I'm going to hazard a guess that when you encounter financial problems, you probably never say, it's because I'm greedy. You probably never say that. It's another reason you have a financial problem. The point is this. It's very difficult, very difficult to see greed in the mirror. And yet Jesus said greed is behind virtually every financial stress. Definition of greed? I'm just going to simplify. Greed is the assumption that it is all for my consumption. So my message title today is Consumption Assumption. Everybody say that, would you? Consumption assumption. It's not easy. Say it again. Consumption assumption. It kind of rolls, doesn't it? Consumption assumption. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. You can be poor and greedy. You can be rich and greedy. It has nothing to do with how much you have. Greedy is not about how much. Greedy is about a heart condition. It's about an approach. It's about an assumption. It's about you're assuming something. And uh, greed has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with your assumption about money. Maybe it's not about how much money you spend. Spend, spend, spend. Greed. I'm going to throw another one in here. It's gonna, I'm gonna, the crowd that's kind of going, yeah, you know, people spend way too much. Yes. Now, I'm going to hit the buster and boomer crowd here, the builder crowd. Uh, greed, it's also about how much you hoard. It's about how much you save. We wouldn't call it hoarding. We call it saving. We call it saving, right? It's okay. We're, just, we're saving. But the same assumption that causes some people to spend, spend, spend is the same assumption that causes you to save, save, save. And if you're shocked then I ask, who are you saving your money for? You say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, it's not greed. Well, who are you saving it for? And after you say it's you, you're saving it for you, you're saving it for when you retire, you're saving it for that next house, you're saving it to be able to have a place somewhere else, to be able to enjoy it later on. And some are saying, well, I'm saving it to give it to all my kids. But it's still you. It's so that you can leave it, you can use it, and then... It's still you. It's in the inheritance. It's the same situation Jesus was addressing with the man about the inheritance. It still comes back to you. Different habits, same assumption. Spend, spend, spend. Save, save, save. Me. It's about me. Most people are guilty because we don't feel we have spare money. 
because either we consume it now, we spend, we buy, we upgrade, welcome to Canada, we spend it now, or we stash it away in a bank or a retirement fund so we can consume it later. We spend it now or we spend it later. It's the same thing. And either way, it's for me. It's for me now, for me later. And Jesus says, it's a faulty assumption. I'm going to unpack this now. It's a faulty assumption. When we see money as Jesus wants to show us, it gets us off the me treadmill and will lead to, I'm going to say three things, it will lead to a, a contentment that you've not known. If we can see it the way Jesus sees it. It will lead to a satisfaction you can't experience. And it will lead to a freedom that you can only dream of. If we can see things the way Jesus is trying to describe. So we come back to our text in Luke chapter 12 verse 15. Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Everyone, you've got your guard. Pastor can't do it for you. Parents can't do it for you. Your financial planner can't do it for you. You've got to guard this yourself because it's about you. Be on your guard against all kinds. In other words, coming at it from every, it's coming at you from every angle. Greed. Life, life. This life does not consist in things, accumulating things. Wow, we really need this, don't we, in our culture. Life is more than stuff, Jesus says. I want to say this. Is it fair to say this? Most of us will run out of time before we run out of money. You're going to die before your money runs out, most of us. Okay? Most of us will run out of time before you run out of money. Then someone else is going to sift through your stuff and perhaps start the dilemma all over again because it's theirs. And they're going to hold on to theirs until they run out of time. Then someone else is going to take that and continue it on. You see the problem? And it's a cycle. We, don't, we, we, we buy into this consumption assumption in our society and Jesus, when a guy comes and talks about an inheritance, Jesus brings correction to this and says, there's, a, there's an assumption here that's wrong. And it's about greed. I want to, just two points this morning. First point is this. Money can add meaning to your life. But money is not the meaning of life. Money doesn't get much play at funerals. At funerals, right? At funerals, it doesn't really matter how much that person accumulated or spent, drove, or lived in. Earning money, chasing money, spending money, Jesus says, is not the point of life. Money is not the meaning of life. Jesus says money is a tool, is a tool. Money has the potential to make your life meaningful. But money can't give meaning to your life. But it's a tool. You can use money to find meaning. Ah, we're tapping into something. What would it look like to live free of consumption assumption? What would it look like? That really is our question this morning. What is your financial assumption? What are you assuming? 
Instead of every dollar that comes your way getting used, what if, what if, instead of every dollar that comes your way you use somehow, either spend or save, instead, what if every dollar that comes your way is used to make your life more meaningful? Not just full of stuff, but you translate it into life. How many of us would be more generous? I don't think any of us can deny the fact there are huge world needs. War taking place in parts of the world. That there's people just in huge need. Countries that they don't have food. They don't have basic necessities. There's huge world needs. And let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Not just world needs, but in community needs here. We had somebody here just on Mother's Day talking about mothers who are pregnant and we can help them out, but it always comes down to be how much can they actually help? How much can you help these people? We have ladies in Aurora called Teen Challenge Farm who have been lost through drug addictions and they could take more ladies if they just had more money. There's needs all around us. There's needs everywhere around us. Not just in other countries. There's needs in our community. There's needs to be generous in our church, in our church community. But just as soon as you begin to get that checkbook out in order to help those needs, because they're all around us, your creditor reminds you, you've already spent it. You've already, you, you can't do this. You don't, have, you, don't have enough to make, you don't have enough to help that need. So you, you put it away. You can't help. Or when you actually begin to write that amount, you say, yeah, I'm going to, and you, you begin to write that amount, and you're about to put that extra zero, but you can't. You can't put, you hesitate to put the extra zero because, well, your creditor says you can't. You've, you've spent it. You've already used it. It's not there. You feel generous, but you can't be generous. And you live your life living this way. You feel, you want to give. It's a good cause. But you can't. This is what Jesus is addressing in chapter 12. Jesus is addressing this. You know, Christ can't be Lord of my life when he's telling me what I should do, but my credit card or my heavy monthly payments on the other side are telling me what I've already done. So I can't do that. Then he can't be Lord of my life. If every time he says, would you help? And we say, I, sorry, I can't. But maybe one day I can. Then what happens is we have bought into an assumption consumption. Uh, this goes way beyond the realm of personal finances. This is about who is in charge of my life. This moves beyond things, money, wallet, finances, stuff. It moves it to a different realm. This is where Jesus gets at. He says, this is not about money. This is about who's your master. You say, Lord, Lord, but you actually aren't making me Lord, Lord, because I'm not your master. You've got another master. We don't acknowledge the master. We say, well, I have to live. But the assumption, the, again, that consumption assumption here is that, well, I have to do this. Again, we've been brought up that way. In all honesty, we've, we've, we've observed it. Our Canadian government lives that way. Uh, we all live in a society by this. 
Doesn't make it right, though. This is where Jesus says, mankind doesn't get this. Doesn't understand. Will your life be full of stuff or will your life be full of the Lord? We say, Lord, I give you all. Then he says, would you help out here? He says, well, I can't give there. My creditor won't lie. I don't have enough. Your money is really a spiritual indicator of who and whose you are. That's why Jesus talks a lot about money. He's not, about, he's not after the money. He's after your heart, but he knows your heart's tied up. Your heart's tied up, so you, he can't get your heart. We say, Lord, Lord, but, well, it's master, master to where we give it to. So my first point is money can add meaning to your life, but money is not the meaning of life. Brings me to my second point. The moment you think your own, the moment you think you own money or possessions, the key word is own, the moment you think you own possessions, they actually own you. An example is the way typical Canadian handles their finances. If I was to put a chart up, Hopefully in our lifetime, our income increases. You know, we start off college, university, or just out of high school, we're making minimum wage. But hopefully, our income will increase later in life as we continue to get older. And that our spending doesn't outpace it. (laughs) Okay, that's hopefully the way it works, right? You can chart it all out. Investors know that most of us will allow our income to drive our spending. Say that again. Most of investors know that we will allow our income to drive our spending. Let me give an illustration. In other words, if you make $45,000 a year, you're going to spend $45,000 a year. Your income determines your spending. If you make $150,000 a year, you will spend $150,000 a year. If you make $250,000 a year, you will spend $250,000 a year. Now, some are saying, oh, Yeah, I mean, if only I could make $150,000 a year. If I made $150,000 a year, I'd I'd give a lot more. But here's the interesting thing. Statistics say not likely. Because your current habit follows you right up the pay scale. You can track it. Statistics. It'll follow you right up the pay scale. And that's not the only thing that would follow you. Financial pressure goes right up the pay scale too. Interestingly enough, I used to believe that those who had a lot of money had a lot less stress in life. But the truth is, people that make a lot stress a lot. (laughs) I mean, you think about it. If you have a $45,000 a year job and lose it, There's quite a few jobs around for $45,000 a year. If you have a $200,000 a year job and lose it, there's not that many $200,000 a year jobs to find. Stress goes right out with the pay scale. When your spending keeps pace or overruns your income, those you spend it on become your masters. And the Bible says, you, I, am slave to them. I'm going to pick that up. When your spending keeps pace or overruns your income, those you spend it on become your masters. And you know what? We hate our masters. We hate those masters. Let's say we hate them. We don't even know who the them are, but we hate them because everything goes to them. And we complain all the time about them because we owe them. We have to keep paying them. And, uh, I mean, we're just an account number to them. 
And if you don't believe it, then just try calling them up. Say, hey, hi, this is Wayne Lucas. And what's the first question they ask you? Tell me your account number. You're a number. You're not a name. You're a number to them. You hate the them out there. Because they don't know you. You're a number to them. Worse yet, you're a slave. You can't buy this, they tell you. You can't drive that, they tell you. You can't take a vacation because you haven't got it. Your kids can't go to that school because you haven't got it. On and on and on. So, it comes down to who's running your life. This is where Jesus is going after the heart. Who's running your life? Companies you don't even know. Places you don't even work for, like mortgage companies, bankers, creditors. You're a slave to a group of people you don't even know who they are. And here's the crazy thing. You did this to yourself. You did it. And that's the point. That's the whole point. The point comes home to me. The point comes home to us. The moment you think you own your money, your possessions, the moment you think it's yours, now they own you. Ah, and Jesus is going after that. He's saying, you, you, you say you give me your life, but actually something's got your life. You have a master. You have a master. So we come back to our text, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. I'm going to read that portion again. Jesus said, watch out, exclamation mark. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of things. There's good news here. Jesus lets us know, here's the good news. We don't actually own our money. We don't actually own it. And that can be revolutionary. And that might be the first time you've ever heard something like that this morning. Um, when we think of the words we use to describe money, I mean, think about it. When you talk about money, often we will say our money, my money, I earned it, I put in the hours for it, my name is on the paycheck, it's my money. But I want, here's, here's the consumption assumption, so that it's your money. I want, here's what we need to change the assumption. You don't own any of it. It's not yours. Your bank account's not yours. The next paycheck is not yours. The government check from, to you, it's not yours. It's not yours. Now, some of you are looking at me at the slits of your eyes. I'm messing with you. I know. I've just crossed so many lines here this morning. I know that. And I, you have to love me, right? It's a Christian thing. You have to keep loving me. And if you, can find the, if you can find error in this, I would welcome a conversation. I would welcome you helping me on this. But I see Jesus stepping into this because he knows it's about the heart. He knows we can't give our heart and our life because this is an issue. And he cares enough about us. Thank God. He cares enough. He calls it. He calls it. Because things, you don't own a thing. I don't own a thing. It's kind of scary and it's kind of relieving all at the same time. You don't own anything. Um, when you leave this world, you take none of it with you. So it's not yours. It's not yours. This is how we know we're not the owners. Because you can't take it. So you don't own it. Here's the, here's the good news. You manage money. It's all you ever do. It's all I ever do. I manage money. I manage money. And we only manage money for a little time. 
the time we're on this earth. From there on in, we're, not, we're walking on streets of gold. It doesn't matter, okay? We manage money for a period of time on this earth. And what we do will determine life or no life. But we merely manage it. So we have to get our heads out of the clouds that we own stuff. Because if we believe we own, and the world will tell you it's yours, and this is where you've got to step away from it and become biblical and become godly and spiritual, I don't own anything. I manage. I manage someone else's wealth. I'm a manager. And who is the someone else? Well, let's go to a new one. This is the one we're going to finish with today. Matthew chapter 25. Another parable. Matthew 25. Go there. I invite you. Verse 14. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus again speaking. Verse 14. He says, It is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, so many times we get stuck on the issue because we think Canadian. Well, why did one get five and one get two? And, and what about the poor guy that got one? That's not fair, right? In our socialistic culture right now, they need to all get five. Better yet, they need to up it to 10, round it off. We're metric. So to give them all 10, you know, whether or not there's 10 to give, but we feel there's an unfairness in the distribution of the money. And we get stuck on that. It's often where our minds work because we've been raised or we've been buying into this. But the parable has nothing to do with how much. So you see there's one five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold, each according to his own ability. Then, then it says the wealthy owner went on a journey. Now in this parable... Every parable, there's always a God figure and there's always an us figure in every parable. So, who's the God figure in this parable? The wealthy man. It's not a trick question. The wealthy man. Who's the us figure? The three guys. The us figure, we're there, one of the three. The God figure is the wealthy man. That's the parable. Jesus is painting a parable. Note that he didn't give them his wealth. He entrusts his wealth to them. So, what percentage of the wealth did the servants own? Somebody talk to me. None. He didn't give it to them. He's asking them to manage it. Do you see that in the story? Okay, we need to go back and read this again. Verse 14. It would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and, here's the word, entrusted his wealth to them. Didn't give it to them. Entrusted. Who owns the money? The wealthy guy, <laughs> the guy who gave it, who doesn't own the money, the servants. Now, we need to get this. This is huge because in our society, we, as soon as it's given, we think it's ours. Faulty assumption. So the money I get, the paycheck I get is mine. Faulty assumption. Jesus is correcting this. You'll never have life and life abundantly if you live on faulty assumption. It's a lie. So the truth is, none of this money, servants, none of it's yours. The wealthy guy, the master, gave this, not yours, he's entrusting this to the servants. So he owns 100%, they own 0%, zero. He owns all of it. Now, essentially, the master tells the servants, while I'm gone, I expect you 
to do with my wealth what I would do with my wealth if I were here. That's what he's saying. Do with it as I would do with it. Manage it in the way you think I would manage it. And then he leaves. And when he returns, they'll have an opportunity to report on how they did. On managing his money. Now, the story would continue and we'd learn that two of the servants doubled the money that he entrusted them, while the third servant did nothing with it. We pick it up in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now remember, the servants didn't keep the money. They managed the money. And even the money that doubled, they, that wasn't theirs to keep. It's all his. Their entire job is to manage it for him. To manage it. And then, when he asks for it, they give it all back. Why? Because he owns 100% of it. They own zero. It's important. This is huge. They're managers. They're not owners. And we can't get caught up in what's fair and what's not fair. Why did one get one, one get two, one get three? Again, it was according to their ability. Some are saying, well, I work really hard. It's not fair. These people may, I work, you know, 50 hours a week, and that person works 20 hours a week, and look at all the things they have. It's not fair. I work harder than them, you know, and we get caught up in that. That's, that's society today, 21st century. But we get caught up in that, but the parable has nothing to do with the equality of the things given. Jesus would point out in the parable, it's not about how much money was given the servants to manage, because how much was given them was outside their control. They had no control over that. It was given, they didn't ask for it. The issue wasn't how much they managed. The entire issue of the parable was what did they, how did, what did they have to show with what they managed was the entire point. A modern example perhaps would be maybe you or I if you have a financial planner. Maybe you and I would sit down with our financial planner, hope that you do, and we ask them to give a report on the money that you've asked them to manage. What would happen if your financial planner the one you hire and pay, and they get a commission. What would happen if they got back with you in one of those meetings where you sat down and they said, well, you know, I'm not really administratively minded, and I'm really not particularly organized, and I don't really follow the market that well, and so I'm really not into details. You, you want details about what I've been doing with it? You know, but it seems to me... Now, at that point, you're sweating bullets. You're thinking, I invested with the wrong guy. And the wrong gal, right? right? If they start off, if they say something like, it seems to me, in other words, I don't know, then you got a problem. There should be no seems to me about what was given. Their job is to be responsible and accountable. And I guess it comes back to the big question to all of us here this morning. What about you? Are you being responsible with what God has entrusted to you to use on his behalf according to his will is the big question. Am I responsible for what God has, because it's not mine. Am I being responsible with what God has entrusted me to use on his behalf according to what he's asked me to do? There shouldn't be any, well, it seems to be God that I can't do that. There's a problem there as soon as we say that. I want to unpack this. We're going to go into some other texts another week. But here's what I want. I want to leave it here. I know I'm just kind of stirring the pot. 
But I do have homework. And here's the homework for the next seven days. I want you to spy on your money. I want you to spy on your money. I want you to keep track this week on how you spend and use it. Every day, get up and think about that. I know, I know some of you are saying, well, that's what my bank account is. You know, I get a monthly statement, and it just kind of lists it all. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm asking you, you, to cat it. I'm not asking you a computer system to figure it out for you. I'm asking you, spy on your money. You categorically look how you use it this week. Where does it flow, your money? Because when it comes to the possessions you have, there ought not to be, well, it seems to me, kind of a moment. You know, There shouldn't be mystery when it comes to money. I mean, there's a lot of mystery in life. Make no mistake. There's a, kids are mysterious. If you have kids, they're mysterious. Love and romance, that's kind of mysterious. <laughs> there's a lot of mysterious things in life, but your money shouldn't be one of them. You should be able to track that. Money's not mysterious. It doesn't just slip and sneak out in the middle of the night. Okay? You can track it. So spy. Spy on those things. And uh, the parable Jesus gave had nothing to do with the amount given, but with what they did with what they were given. And the reason you need to keep track of where your money is going is because it's not yours. You got to give account for it. It's not yours. Money, it's not mine. You're a manager of something God gave you. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Again, the consumption assumption is that you own it. But the reality is, is when you think it's yours, it now owns you. And it creates all kinds of problems. And your heart really isn't God's. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.